This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews. And as always, I'm joined on the other line by Johnny. How are we, Johnny? Pleasure as always, Dan. How's round three been treating you? Well, geez, <laughs> didn't see this one coming, did we? Like, plenty of blowouts, um, some, some good contests, and um, yeah, a couple of high-flying marks. That, yeah, a real uh, mixture, wasn't it? So not really what we've seen from the first couple of rounds, but interesting in its own way, and nothing's going to stay the same, right? So you always expect to be throwing a few curveballs. It's the beauty of it. All right, Johnny, what caught your eye from round three then? Jeez, there were a lot of things that caught my eye this weekend, Dan, but I can't go past Nick Nanui. Um, there's just very few players in the comp I enjoy watching more than this guy. I don't think I've ever watched a guy who palms the ball better than him in the ruck. Um, and another thing, I don't think I've seen more TV goal replays from a team where the, the replay starts off with the centre bounce. Like, cause you only uh, get yeah, what, yeah. four or five seconds. So many of West Coast's goals I find start, <laughs> the replay starts right from that centre bounce and uh, hit out to advantage and, and the goal from that. So yeah, he's a pleasure to watch and, um, yeah. I don't know whether he, do you reckon he's beefed up? Like, I noticed him a couple of weeks ago against the Bulldogs. He was going up against Steph Martin, and they're about the same height, but Nan knew he looked almost double his size. He was that, he was that, uh, you know, big. He he's looking pretty up. solid at the moment. Yeah, I, I think he probably is a little bit bigger. Uh, but yeah. He, it yeah, hasn't slowed him down. He's just like this solid mass just to go against. And yeah, he's still got the finesse, still got the run. So. That's Good right, luck yeah. to anyone else <laughs> going up against Nick Nat, especially in that centre bounce. Oh, yeah. It's a, probably the, bit, the hardest challenge right now, I'd say, including guys like Grundy and Gorn. He's just, yeah, it, there's no stopping him at the moment. And I think that's an interesting one with West Coast as well because, you know, if you let West Coast get on top of you in the midfield, you're going to have a pretty hard day with uh, how strong their forward line is as well. And, you know, Port find, found that out on the weekend as well, didn't they? Oh, it's a, yeah, that, that is really one of the hardest forward lines to play against, I think, at the moment. I mean, you, know, you need two good tools for Darling and Kennedy, and then there's Oscar Allen as well. So. Yeah, it's, they're yeah. definitely hard to match up on. So, for me, it was uh, Josh Bruce. So, kind of a malign Bulldog player, but he found a way to kick 10. <laughs> still possible to kick 10 in the AFL. It's good to see. I didn't see a lot of this game, but it just seemed like it all came together for him. Like, um, he was just in the right places and, you know, he was kicking beautifully. Yeah, I think he got quite a few of his goals from pretty close in. A few snaps, but, you know, you still got to put him through, don't you? And people still miss Absolutely. from close in. And, yeah, he's just having a day out, really. Yeah, yeah, good to see. But maybe this is, like, a little bit to do with how the game's being played as well. You know, these big forwards do seem to have a bit more space. There's, you know, the quicker ball movement, more one-on-one contests. So maybe we will see a few more bags. Definitely with the more one-on-one contests. I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to suit these sort of lead-up forwards and that a lot more. I mean, it'd be real interesting to see when Benny Brown comes back. Yeah, it could um, be good for him. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I think Tex Walker is leading the Coleman at the moment, or close to anyway. So he's had oh, a yeah. resurgence, the lead-up forward. Yeah, there was a lot of talk about Tex being the first 100-goal kicker for a long time. I'm not <laughs> quite sure that. if wow. that's going to happen, but uh, yeah. he is, he's in very good nick. Even very good nick. Harry McKay kicked seven on the weekend, I think. So I don't think he's done that before. So, yeah, it's definitely an interesting nice. trend that uh, 
you know, you can get these forwards dominating the game now. So I think that's just yeah. another part of it being a little bit more open. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we've got, got a little bit left field for the match of the round this week. So we've actually chosen Richmond-Sydney. So for those of you who know what happened in this game, it's not the closest game, but I think it's probably the most meaningful. What do you reckon, Johnny? I definitely agree with this. Um, yeah, look, it wasn't the closest game, but I think this might be one of the more, more telling games of the round in the season, even. Uh, because there's sometimes those moments where you see just a little bit of a shift of the, um, of the power, the balance of power. Um, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but usually when it does happen, you look back to games like this mm. and yeah. you, know, you remember them a lot. Yeah, a lot more clearly. It's only round three, but, geez, Sydney made a statement. They were $5 outsiders for this game, and I think that was probably a little bit harsh on them, but they found a way to topple Richmond. So let's pick it apart a little bit and see how this actually happened because <laughs> it was pretty amazing, actually. So let's let's kick this off. So to put this into context, this is a Saturday afternoon game at the MCG. Richmond had not lost a day game at the MCG since 2017. So wow. it's been a while. That, yeah, that's incredible. Granted, we didn't play at the MCG last year, but you know, um, well, uh, aside from round one. But uh, <clears throat> can you guess, Johnny, who might have beaten Richmond the last time they lost at the MCG? Twenty seventeen. Um, I feel like there's a bit of a trick question here. I reckon it might be Sydney. It, it was Sydney. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got it, got it in one. Well done. Just shows you, like, Sydney are always oh, a tricky beautiful. opponent. So, um, yeah, I think that's just an amazing record and shows how good Richmond's been, especially at their home ground. But not on this occasion. So it was the sure Swans does. boasting nine players with less than 50 games who came out and really served it up to the Tigers. They had that aggressive mentality that they've had through the first couple of rounds. They kept... It going with the aggressive ball movement and definitely hunting the man. You could tell they really wanted to carry on with what they've been doing and just show everyone that it hasn't been a fluke so far. Yeah, and look, this this the ball movement and the hunting the man—they were doing that all day as well. And you know, they've they really gave Richmond a taste of their own medicine. I mean, I heard something where uh, I think they said the scores from turnovers was eighty-eight points for Sydney to twenty-eight Richmond. I mean, if you didn't know. Uh, if you hadn't watched the game or you, just someone told you that statistic and didn't tell you the teams, you'd think it was the other way around. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, yeah, just just really just gave them their own, you know. Yeah. Taste of their own medicine. Taste eh? their own medicine, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting earlier, though, because although Sydney were more or less dominating, they really were struggling to get it on the board. I think they had quite a few posters and at quarter time, they only led by nine points despite only keeping Richmond to one goal. So they'd kicked 2-6-18 themselves, but you really felt that they should be further ahead. And how often do you see that uh, when you don't take your chances early against a, a great team like Richmond and, you know, they come back and overrun you? Absolutely. Uh, so there says a, prim- a lot about... Yeah. They're a prime candidate for that, I reckon, Johnny. But we know what happened next and they didn't let it happen, which I think says a lot about them. Absolutely, that's a good test of character there, and they just carried on with it. Um, so I think what so, what really stood out as well, like once they got inside fifty, was just the ferocity with which they were hunting the ball. So that's like you know inside fifty tackles, just 
the unwillingness to let it get out, it was really noticeable. And, you know, the Richmond defenders really didn't have that quick outlet that most teams do in defence. It was really noticeable. We spoke about their ball movement, but also just their ability to expose the Richmond defenders was really kind of incredible. I mean, we talked a lot about the stand rule in the last few weeks, but is the stand rule stifling teams like Richmond who like to play a zone and guard space rather than players, do you reckon, Dan? I think it could be making it harder for them. Just because if you are trying to play a zone, then by definition, there are going to be guys that are free, right? You're playing a zone, so not everyone's manned up. So if you come up against a team that does have the ability to hit more of those short targets and pick out the players... Um, they don't have to be the tallest guys, right? And that's kind of what Sydney were no. doing. They were, they were just picking the guys that were free and weren't really letting Richmond zone off. So I think absolutely the stand rule has got a bit of a role to play there. What do you reckon? Uh, 100% agree. And also, the um, taking away that ability to sort of shift laterally on, on off the mark quickly, I think, and, you know, peel off back into a zone. I mean, yeah, it's you lose that split second I guess but it makes a massive difference yeah I think so like when like last year if you had a mark you would quite often have like a two or three second delay before to try and get off the mark and you know try and get the ball moving forward that delay seems to have gone and that time for the defense to sort of shift into a better position is really compromised so if you are trying to play a zone your zone is probably more likely to be in the wrong spot it makes a big, big difference. So big that'll difference. be interesting to look at going forward, whether mm. um, there is a bit more man, and ma- man on man or there's just a bit of a tweak to the way Richmond and other teams are trying to defend. Because uh, if yeah. you come up a team like up against a team like maybe Port Adelaide or um, Sydney where they are actually really good at hitting these short kicks, even though that last one going inside 50 zone is uh, maybe not going to work as well as it might have no. in the past. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so about halfway through the second term, the Tigers did breathe a little bit of life into this match from their perspective. They had two quick goals, and Dusty's fingerprints were all over it. And they trimmed the margin back to just 15 points, and they you could feel the momentum swinging, so it really did look like Richmond were about to do something here. They were definitely... There were periods of the game where they were definitely challenging Sydney, but... Every time, it just seemed like Sydney had the answers. Absolutely, and that's what happened next. With 3.30 left on the clock in the second quarter, the Swans went bang-bang out of the centre, two centre clearance goals. The centre, uh, the second of these, was pretty amazing. So I think the third gamer, Warner, breaking a tackle, streaming out of the middle, and kicking it from just outside 50. Doesn't get much better than that for a third gamer. Well, he's the latest on the conveyor belt of uh, Sydney youngsters this, and this week's his week, Chad Warner. Um, yeah, 20 disposals, two goals. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's no shortage of these guys at, at Sydney at the moment. It doesn't, somehow it just doesn't quite seem fair that they have all these good young players. <laughs> it doesn't. But, yeah, no, it doesn't. It's, it's fantastic to watch. So basically that little burst at the end of the second quarter there where they kicked... Um, four goals in three and a half minutes, blew out that halftime lead to 40 points. So really, that was a pretty early nail in the coffin there. It was going to be hard road back for Richmond based on how well Sydney was playing. It was a fantastic four-quarter effort from the Swans and they thoroughly deserved the result. Didn't flatter them at all, really. So just a little bit more about 
what Sydney actually did to dismantle Richmond. And that's what some people are calling this. It's a complete uh, dismantling of what Richmond are trying to do. So we've talked a little bit about it, but it was using this pinpoint passing more or less uh, all the way down the field. So even when they were on a quick break, they weren't going long to the Richmond defence. If there was a player, you know, there's a sort of a 15, 20-metre um, hit-up kick, they were taking that option, and there was plenty of space for them to move around and uh, pick the best option going through there. And they were doing up, yeah, they were doing something very similar going inside 50. So it didn't really matter who the target was. They were kicking it sort of low and hard to the advantage. And um, just the use of that zone defence really um, sort of played into Sydney's hands here, being able to pinpoint all these targets. They really frustrated the Tigers with this um, this way of going about it with the short kicking. Um, yeah, as you said, if there were if, as long as there was an option, they were just going to take it. They they were patient and measured, and uh, it, I mean it sounds simple, but if you don't allow the Tigers to get a lot of the ball, they're going to end up doing a lot more running without the ball and tire out quickly. It's, it sounds very simple, but I think that's what happened in the end. Yeah, I think. Conventional wisdom is that, you know, this has kind of been one of the best ways to play in terms of what we're talking about. Pinpointing the passes, don't kick it long, control the ball against Richmond. But it's bloody hard to do it as well as what Sydney did. It's very hard to do. Yeah, so like, um, it's one thing knowing how to do it, but being able to execute and Sydney absolutely This was perfect execution, yeah. Yeah. So it really did all start in the midfield. I know we've talked a lot about, um, you know, the forward line and those pinpoint passing, but... Sydney did win the midfield battle and quite handsomely. So it was they had a, they've got a good mixture in there with guys like Mills moving in, and uh, they've still got the older guys like Parker and Kennedy. So and a few others running through there as well. So they've got a nice mix. Great mix. I mean, you know, you need that sort of mix of the experience and the the young dash, and it's really well balanced at the moment. I mean, Heaney is you know. He can sort of pinch it in there a little bit, a bit more up forward, I guess. But um, yeah, it's, it's very hard to play against this midfield right now. And yeah, they're really just, yeah, they're all over teams at the moment. The way they run in numbers and yeah. Yeah, they're generating a lot of uh, inside 50s and dangerous ones at that. And I'm glad yeah. you brought up Heaney because he was my next point I wanted to bring up. He's just almost like the ultimate sort of hybrid forward now. He, for his size, he's almost one of the best marks, I think, and he's just as good on the ground. And he's pretty good at converting as well. He had a set shot from about 45 out near the boundary, and he chose to do a snap on his left, which is his wrong side, and he absolutely <laughs> nailed it. So, geez, he's got it all, I reckon. So I think he's sort of coming into his own. They did sort of play him a bit more in the midfield in uh, sort of earlier years, and then they sort of moved in forward by really just, you know, necessity. But... I think he has found his niche, right? That's where he can probably do the most damage. I definitely agree, and I'm still in awe about that goal, Dan. I mean, yeah, what was it, like 45 metres out, right on the boundary, and he decides to go around the body for a snap and and clears yeah, no problem. half-face height. Yes. Side, so. I don't think there's many players in the league that could do that. I mean, oh, maybe a, a Stevie J could have done it back in the day. Maybe they spent too much time with each other when he was coaching at the Swans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know if Stevie J ever took too many on his opposite side, but uh, no, maybe if it was really close in, but yeah, it was mighty impressive. Yeah. So basically all in all, what did Sydney do? 
we've described it, but they also cracked the ton. They won the midfield battle, and it all added up to a 45-point win, and now they're three and zip. I think this is the win of the year so far, definitely. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit quickly about the other side of the coin. What does this mean to Richmond? Ooh, good question. There's a lot of people talking about this at the moment and um, wondering if the blueprint has been revealed, if this is how you beat Richmond. Um, uh, I think I think this was a bit of a mixture of the Swans executing their game plan perfectly and Richmond having maybe a, a bit of an off day. Um, I, I wouldn't be too concerned if I was a Tigers fan. I mean, look, there are... There are things that have come in this year, like the stand rule, that may be affecting the way they go about their defensive setup. But they're still so good at executing their own game plan. I mean, it's all well and good to have the blueprint on how to beat them, but um, you know, are you going to do it better than they execute their own game plan? I'm not convinced on that yet. Mm, interesting. I think you're right because you know, very few teams can do what Sydney did, even if they know exactly what they're trying to do. So there's that. But there's also the other side of the coin in that are Richmond more mortal now that we have the stand rule and a few of these other rules that open, have opened it up a little bit more. And I would say the early evidence is probably yes. You know, Richmond were the ultimate uh, team at, you know, locking it in their forward half, scrapping, getting the turnover, just giving you nothing, being so well set up behind the ball. I feel like the game isn't really being played like that anymore. Teams aren't as being as having to be as a reliant on locking it in their forward half to score, so it's a bit more of an up and back game. And yeah, Richmond can probably adjust, but I do think at the moment it has shown a bit of vulnerability that maybe wasn't there in the last couple of years. I think it's definitely a chink in the armor, uh, and it all depends on how they can um, adapt to it. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely not, yeah the game is moving a lot more and it's not all about just uh you know camping out in the forward line and, or or in any part of the ground and and locking it down so it will be really interesting to see how richmond do respond yeah plenty of time to work on it but maybe maybe the players they have just aren't quite as suited to this game style and that's i think that's one of the really interesting things it's almost like the afl has just thrown all the cards up in the air and no one's quite sure where it's all gonna fall yeah and um yeah. You know, some people would say that's too much change for a sport. And, you know, maybe maybe they're right in a way. But if you looked at the way the game was being played last year, I think even the most diehard football supporter would recognise that, you know, that's not really what we want. So we want to try and open it up a little bit more. Free the footy. There was de- change was definitely necessary <laughs> after what we saw last year. Yes. Hashtag free the footy, eh? All right. <laughs> Let's uh, let's move on. Enough praise for Sydney, although I think we'll be continuing to praise them throughout the year. They're pretty awesome, actually. Yes, the new, sure new glamour team. Um, okay, so another theme of the round for round three here was some absolute maulings. There were some thrashings handed out to quite a few teams. None bigger than Western Bulldogs absolutely smashing North Melbourne. 128 points on Good Friday. This was the biggest win in the club's history. They got 25 goals through. And as we talked about earlier, uh, Josh Bruce, 10 of those goals, 167 points, could go on and on. 70% of the time they went inside 50, they scored. I think they would have had a little bit more 
of a competition against their second team, maybe. North did not put up much of a much resistance here. <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't see a lot of this game. I probably saw nearly a half of it. Um and I actually saw the it was the first half. So I think North actually didn't start too bad for the first five minutes. But um this is a really tough one, like to like when you think about how do things like this happen it's really hard to explain how the scoreline ended up how it did with this. I mean, they were pl- North were playing this sort of game style where they were just it was just short kicking and really no risks being taken and almost inviting pressure from the Bulldogs. Yeah. And I just think that it backfired dramatically. Hundred percent. That's exactly the way I saw it. Like when North had the ball, especially in that first half, which is when I was paying a little bit more attention. <laughs> Got to be honest here. Uh, tuned out a little bit after that but um yeah when north had the ball they were just doing these short dinky kicks either slightly forward across but it almost looked like the only thing that could actually happen was they were going to turn it over like there was actually there was no danger for the bulldogs in what they were doing like eventually they were going to turn it over and the bulldogs were going to get a chance to score probably it just had this inevitable feeling Almost right. It's like they were passing around a a glass vase and eventually (laughs) it was going to smash on the ground into a million pieces. (laughs) Yes. So it was definitely not pretty, but, you know, for a Bulldog supporter, absolutely. And it really did open up in that last quarter. I think there was close to 10 goals in the last quarter. So huge win. Huge win. And you take, yeah, take nothing away from the dogs. They were really, really good. They were awesome. Yeah. So this wasn't an isolated incident. We had Sydney beating Richmond, of course, 45 points, you know. Borderline smashing. Essendon absolutely getting all over St Kilda, 75 points. And Carlton also uh, laying on a pretty comprehensive victory over Frio, 45 points. So my first point is, uh, first question really, is what's behind all these huge wins? What's happening here, Johnny? Well, yeah, look, it is a bit, um, it is a little bit unusual, I guess, especially in the the era of, I guess, equalisation, as they like to call it, back in the day, which was about two or three years ago. Um, but I think all of these games, were there were different reasons for the blowouts. I think um, we just covered with North and, and the Bulldogs. There were obviously a few more things that were involved, but I felt with North, um, I think David Noble was a good choice as a coach because uh, he's seen a few of these type, rebuild types um, of clubs. Um, but I think that it doesn't feel like the players have bought into his game plan yet, um, 100%. And, yeah, I think there's going to be a little bit more tinkering involved there. Um, but there does seem to just be – like there hasn't quite been that connection between the players and the coach yet, I find. They're not quite – I don't think they're quite sold on that game yeah, plan Yeah, there's a bit yet. of a so disconnect there at the moment. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves. St Kilda, that was – I don't know, I – I saw parts of that one and I just thought they were just lazy. They they just turned it up in that one. They really just um, – they looked disinterested, which was really strange. Um, and some of the goals they were giving up – I mean, Cale Hooker kicked five goals in that game. I think like three of them were just cherries from mistakes. Um, so that was just – the Dons were pretty good, but uh, I thought St Kilda were really, really poor. Possibly the worst performance of the round, even, even including North. Yeah, I think just a little bit more generally, it's interesting that there are these big results. I think, you know, say last year or even the year before, when a team was really on top in a game, it was not uncommon for them to 
not be able to really put a lot of score on the board. You know, maybe they would put three goals on when you think they should be putting like six or seven on. Whereas now, once a team is on top, they're just going for the throat. With these new rules, you can put on, you know, five or six goals in seven or eight minutes. Or maybe I'm being a bit extreme there, but geez, it can happen really quickly. So when a team is really on top and everything's going for them, the scoreboard can get really ugly really quickly. And I think that's also backed up by the size of some of these scores, like Essendon, 143, Western Bulldogs, 167, Sydney, 117, almost cracked the 120 for the third week in a row. So although it looks like these are absolute smashings, and they are, I feel like if these games were played a year or two ago, even if the talent was the same and the games being played in a sort of similar way without these rule changes, you know what I mean? Like it just brings everything down a bit. So maybe like a 45 point result in 2021 is kind of equivalent to like a 25 point game in 2019. You know, you know see what I'm sort of going with this? Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's a very good point there actually. I mean, yeah, maybe the ability to score more is, is inflating these results a bit more than they are. I think the reason why I brought up those sort of individual um, situations was uh, I thought that there were there were some legitimate reasons for the reason for why those games blew out in particular and just to say that look yeah we don't want too many blowouts in the game but there can be some reasons why they do happen and that you know we've said this before with the competition being so level if you're if you're a little bit off your game you get beaten but if you're as off your game as these teams were you can get yeah. completely smashed at the it. moment so. But uh, but I do I do think you I do think you make a really good point though with that if this was a game last year of course it wouldn't have been that big of a blowout no 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 yeah so there's definitely a change there so while we're opening scoring up there's kind of an other side another side to that sword which is you know you can get a bigger margin if the other team isn't yeah. quite up to it the gap the gap looks bigger basically at least it is a double edged yeah. sword though isn't it so yeah. like. I don't mind watching one of these, you know, blowouts every now and then. Like, it's pretty entertaining to watch, you know, Essendon absolutely pantsing St Kilda. Like, not for St Kilda supporters, obviously, but, you know, for a team like Essendon who hasn't really been able to score and then they go and kick 20 goals. Like, there's a bit to like about that. And especially if it's a team just playing good football as well. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, good exactly. Like, well. yeah. It's not their fault that St Kilda weren't up for no. the fight. So you got to appreciate you know, the parts that are working well. And, you know, even if it's a 10-goal win, it can still be entertaining in its own right. Exactly. All right. So this is one you brought up, Johnny. Should a first-year coach go for wins early on or put more emphasis on developing a game style that's going to bring them long-term success? Or at least they think that is what the game style will do. What do you reckon? Yeah, it, it, it is a tough one. And it does bring on a lot of conversation. There's no right or wrong answer, really. I think in an ideal world, I would definitely take the second one. You, If you bring in a new coach and you're a rebuilding club, you'd like to think that, you know, the board will give that coach the time to implement what he wants to do, he or she. Um, you know, I think back to Alistair Clarkson's first year at Hawthorne, and that was all over the place. I mean, you could sort of see what they were trying to mm. do. They were playing this sort of high-risk brand of footy and it wasn't always coming off. There were skill errors galore all over the place, but we all know what happened within two or three years. They really perfected it and they became very, very hard to beat. Um, look at Damien Hardwick as well. I mean, he probably changed the game plan a couple of times at the Tigers. And 
eventually that quick ball movement in 2017 and the zone obviously yeah for defending that, that was the recipe for success um these days I'm not so sure if you really get that kind of time to do this uh you know the seems like boards are a bit more impatient and you know they want to win now yeah um yeah it's a it's a hard one what, what do you reckon I think if you're not really focused on developing your game style then you're kind of setting yourself up for failure because the only way you're going to have the ultimate mm. success is if you can really have a really meaningful game style instilled that you know the players believe in and that's actually going to give you a point of difference so if you're just coming in and you know giving games to all the older players and really playing for the now only i think you are setting yourself up for failure in a way so while it might be hard early on and i think we saw this a little bit with adelaide last year it looked yes. really bad in the first sort of three quarters of the season but once they actually sort of you know started to probably understand a little bit more what Knicks was getting them to try and do with you know their ball movement patterns and the way they were trying to set up then I think you could see a clear difference there so it's it's very hard for a coach to come in and have a lot of success early on in my opinion so yes if you're trying to if that's your goal I think you're probably yeah just setting yourself up for failure yeah and um I think you de- I think you really want to develop that style early and, and your philosophy and your mentality. Um, but I think ideally you want both, obviously. <laughs> you want to get some wins. You want to get a good style. But I think what if you can get a cup, if you can just win some games, get a couple of wins here and there, that keeps the pressure off your back. So as you said with Nick's before, the blowtorch was on him, the magnifying glass. He hasn't won. They might not win a game this year. Now he's getting a win every now and then. It's just, we're not talking yeah, about it. Yeah. You know, it, it, they're going along the, about their business, yeah. You need to win. like. But I think if you, that's your only focus, then you're probably not going to be there in the long term. So, yeah. A bit yeah, of both Definitely. There. I agree. All right, so we've already talked a little bit about this in our Match of the Round recap, but let's go into it in a little bit more detail. So... Did Richmond provide the blueprint for bringing in the man of the mark rule? So is this the Richmond rule, Johnny? <laughs> <laughs> we had the Hawthorne rule. What was the Hawthorne rule? It was um, the ru- deliberate rush behind. You can't deliberately yes. rush the behinds because of all those uh, uh, times they did that in the 2008 grand final when they didn't want to give the ball back to Geelong and we know how that worked out for them. Yes. So is this yes. the equivalent for Richmond? I think that um, there's a little there's a little bit of that in this. I'm not sure if it's the main rule. I, th- I think when it comes down to it, this was an aesthetics type of um, mm-hmm. change that you know just to build you know make more space and you know get a bit more ball movement and a bit more action happening. But it, it does make you think though because <laughs> it was something that they perfected and it, yeah, it's. It is one of those things that does happen. I mean, you know, they bring in the third man up rule and all the great players that were, you know, good at doing that kind of thing at ruck contests. Um, yeah, they became irrelevant. And and Hawthorne were very good at that, uh, especially with guys like Jordan Lewis when he was there. Um, so, yeah, look, uh, uh, there is a little bit of something to that. Yeah. Yeah. So just to provide a bit more context on this, I guess you could say Richmond was one of the best, if not the best at guarding that mark, cutting off the angle, making sure mm. they 
gave their players behind the ball that those two or three seconds to uh, set up. And set up the reverse own, yeah. of that was also true. They, When they got a mark, they tried to go as quickly as possible to not let the opposition do that. So they were getting, they were yeah. getting the advantage both ways. So perhaps that was part of the review of the game that the AFL did, you know, looking at what Richmond's doing really well and um, working out that, you know, perhaps it's not the best thing to be able to, you know, creep that 45-degree angle or hold the player up for a couple of seconds. So, And I think we've seen the, yeah. in the first few rounds, it's made a huge difference. So, you know, maybe another piece of the legacy for Richmond, the AFL's changed the rule, at least partially, <laughs> because of them. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. And all the uh, running sort of, not across the mark, but across the, like, a set shot that comes in, that, that's something that we, yeah, we've seen just completely eradicated now. It's interesting, though, like, I don't know, do any other games around the world change their rules to accommodate teams or players that are dominating? <laughs> well, none that I've seen. Um, yeah, it's it's an, odd, it's, it's an odd thing, isn't it, that the AFL is just sort of this game in flux that is almost continuously changing and they can sort of tweak it here and there. I don't know, it's just, I don't have a problem with it per se, but it's just interesting that, you know, a team can find almost this loophole that they can exploit and then the AFL has to respond. It's a plug the hole, yeah. Um, I I feel like there's always the two things that they're working towards and that's keeping the game attractive and keeping it equal and giving everyone a chance. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point you bring up there because, you know, a lot of leagues around the world, it's not an even playing field. At all. There's probably, like, the Champions League is probably a good example of this. I don't know a lot about it, but it's probably only the top six teams that can actually win it, even from the start. Like, there's there's some teams that have absolutely no chance. And maybe you would argue that there's some teams like that in the AFL as well, but I think there's a lot less. So... But there's also a system in place for them to, you know, exactly. regenerate their exactly. list and get them a chance down so the track. I think yeah. that's another way that the AFL is a bit unique there. Yeah. So one of the other things that's been a little bit of a trend in the opening rounds is inaccuracy in front of goal. So it's actually at an all-time low for uh, these couple of rounds, but it's actually been dropping every year. It's been dropping 1% every year for the past five years. Bit of a worrying trend. So... Why is this happening, and how big of a problem is it? What do you reckon, Johnny? Well, yeah, I had a big think about this one, and um, you could probably dedicate a whole episode to it, but um, it's, yeah, it's real puzzling, real puzzling, this one. I mean, there's so many questions. I mean, is it all the running that the players do? Are they fatigued by the time they get a set shot? Is it the lack of time to practice with all their meetings with sports scientists and tactics and all those other things, is it the mental side of it? Do they actually prepare themselves mentally for that moment when they're on the MCG in front of 50,000 to take a set shot? I mean, it, it, there's so many things to it, but it is it is a problem, definitely. And, um, you know, you see how many games do we see where there's those pivotal moments where there's a set shot and it's it's one of those, you know, the game's there to... The game's there for the taking moments. Uh, like it's going to shift the momentum, and, and they miss it. And it, it, there's a lot of opportunities like that wasted. Yeah. There's that old saying, isn't there? Bad kicking is bad football. So yeah, oh, you I agree. Can, you can have more scoring shots. You can be the better team, but you know if you don't kick enough goals, you're not going to win the game. <laughs> so it is a big no. problem. The question. 
The question I have about it is, um, does the AFL worry about this as much as we do? Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think it would be at the top of their list. No, neither. <laughs> but, like, to me, really, maybe you can add to this list, but I was thinking a little bit about this. There's probably three main reasons why people are missing goals, okay? So they're, they're either yeah. taking difficult sort of long shots or just sort of say like difficult slash long. So it can be either difficult or long shots or both. So there's one yep. there, higher chance of a point. Yep. There is just, it's just coming out of like congestion. So just, you know, those snaps that are pretty low percentage and can sort of just yep. throw the ball at a target, may not, may go through, may not. So there's another one there. And there's your sort of classic misses where, you know, the player really should kick it, but, you know, it's a set shot and, you know, either they're overthinking it or the, they get the ball drop wrong, whatever it is. Like, the number of uh, players I've seen miss from the top of the square in the, the first few rounds, like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's a simple thing to say, but, you know, you or I could kick that, you know, probably 19 <laughs> times out of 20. And, you know, I know we're not on the field playing, but, you know, it's not a hard kick by any measure. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So, um, like, yeah, so those are my those are my points. Um do you have anything to add to that, Johnny? Or are those the three main well, reasons you miss? Well, um, with the with the sh- shots on the run, I don't I don't worry too much about those. I mean, I guess you know that they are all part of it. But um, I think when you're isolated just to set shots, it, it's still the 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 um, the accuracy percentages are still just way too down. And people talk about, oh, well, maybe they're taking too many from the pocket. Maybe the forwards are leading out too wide, and all that. I, I think that's a bit. Of a silly argument too, because there's a number of set shots that I see from literally dead in front, forty meters out, that are just not converted regularly enough. Yeah, so I think that's pro- you probably hit the nail on the head there. It's more those set shots where you know the player is in a high percentage spot, but they're just not being able to convert. So these are the types of kicks that it seems like you know we're not getting any improvement on, um, you know, for the average player. So we're dropping every year. So, you know, clubs have identified this as a problem. Some have, you know, specialist goal-kicking coaches, whatever it is, but the improvement just isn't there. Um, I used to hear Matthew Lloyd talk about this a lot and what his preparation was when he was when he was playing for the Bombers. And it, it was just a different mindset altogether. I mean, they were putting in extra time on goal-kicking practice. I mean, he was do- spent a whole off-season with um, one of the specialist coaches down there to really perfect his his stance and his routine. And when you hear these types of guys talk about it, it really is, it's not just a skill. It really is a routine that's built up of about, you know, six or seven different elements. There's, you know, there's the ball drop, there's the guiding down, there's the, um, you know, the contact, there's, um, you know, there's the wind. I mean, there's cutting in and out of the wind. You don't hear players these days talking about that stuff or I'm, I'd be surprised if, if they even mm. really thought about that stuff when yeah. they go through their routine. It's interesting. Like it is a complex thing to get it all right. You know, most of the time as you're talking mm. about there. So to me, it's the most important skill in the game converting when you've worked so hard to get a shot and perhaps it's not getting the respect it deserves in terms of actually the amount of coaching that's needed to bring players up to that level. Like I like, yeah. Can you imagine, like, if a team made it, one of the key focuses of their off-season and basically, you know, went into sort of a camp where they do, like, it's basically just 
you know, goal kicking training and whatever it is, like the yeah. mental side of it, all these aspects that you're talking about. It's almost like a course in goal kicking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. Do you have your, do you have your goal kicking degree? Do you know, do you know where to <laughs> aim it when you're at the different spots on the ground? And yeah, maybe that's what's needed. Like everything else they've tried hasn't worked. So why not give it a go? <laughs> I'd certainly like to see it happen. All right, <laughs> that'd be awesome. We'll leave it to you, Johnny. So set that up, and uh, we'll start. We'll start cashing in. <laughs> I'll get back to you. <laughs> All right. So obviously we're joking a little bit there, but it is interesting that relative to how important this skill is, it does seem to be somewhat neglected, at least from um, the way you know AFL clubs are training and the emphasis they're putting on different parts of the game. And you only have to look at some players that take set shots now. I mean, I'm not picking on anyone in particular, but you just you can tell by the way some of them drop the ball. Sometimes it's low, sometimes it's high, sometimes it just comes out and it, like they just tossed it up in the air. You can just tell they they don't give that part of their of their routine enough attention. Yeah. It, it just doesn't cross their mind, and it's it's sad to I see. Think actually, the key word you said there, Johnny, is routine, and like yeah. Maybe, you know, back in the day, it was really only the full forwards who had like a proper routine and, you know, practice that over and over. But, you know, I think we've got a greater spread of goal kickers now. So, you know, as a professional athlete who's playing, you know, in the forward line or the midfield, shouldn't you have a goal kicking routine that, you know, you're sort of refining, practicing, understanding, you know, the mechanics of it? What sort of shot are you going to take at different times of the game? Um, you know, what part of the goal face you're actually aiming for. Like, I I might be wrong, but I don't think players actually put th- this much thought into it. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be at the level of, you know, <laughs> some of the spearheads were just yeah. talking about. But, um, you know, they've got to have they've got to have some kind of plan. I mean, some of these routines are just, f- from one kick to the next, just look completely yeah. different. And it's, it would yeah. be interesting to see, you know, over the next five or ten years, whether there's a meaningful change and... At the moment, I see no nothing that would lead me to think that there will be an improvement here. No, neither. <laughs> so I guess no. it's just one of those things. Just got to your heart, your heart's in your mouth when it's your team, and they've got a set shot for goal, even if it's twenty out straight in front. It's never through until it's actually through. <laughs> Sounds like fun. <laughs> Adds to the tension, eh? All right, let's yes. finish things off with a little bit of true or false. So. True or false, Johnny? The eight-point game is a myth. False for me. Um, I think that there's definitely something when it comes to psychology and momentum. Uh, looking at the Brisbane Lions straight away, I mean, two losses, a heartbreaking loss in round two. Um, down and out of this game, really, in, until the dying seconds when they get that chance. And, um, and uh, yeah, was it? Sorry, who was it? Was it Bailey? Yeah, Bailey. Was Zach it? Bailey. Yeah, that's right. Uh, beautiful, beautiful set shot routine, by the way, there, Dan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, He's actually a beautiful yeah. shot for goal. And he, a very he was good the shot. guy who tackled Blitzavs the week before as well. <laughs> he was. So it's a bit of redemption there. Oh. Redemption okay, there. but, yeah, so we were saying false here. Uh, yeah, interesting. But, yeah, look, I think that that win is... Massive for the Lions. It's only worth four points, but I think that this really gets the group yeah. bonding together now, and they can, you know, package up the momentum a bit and go into their next game a lot with a lot more yeah. confidence. Some some games just mean more than others, depending on who you're playing or you know 
where 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 you are on the ladder or like if you haven't or where it's played. played some just do mean more like they all count the same but ultimately you know it's gonna the different wins or losses are gonna have bigger impacts on your season than others like for example i think it is really important to win in round one just be, just to get yes. things rolling you need that first win you know maybe if you, maybe get, if you get it in round two it's not as big that big a deal but you know you don't want to be losing the first few games so and you want to bank towards the, the end as well like you know it's a fight for those last few positions in the eight you get the four points but you're also taking four points off one of your contenders so some exactly. games are bigger than others you want to call that an eight-point game? Then uh, go ahead. So I guess I'll agree with you there, Johnny. I'll go false for that one. <laughs> All right. True or false? West Coast have the best forward setup in the AFL. This was actually not as easy as I thought it would be. I was a resounding yes at first, but uh, I, the the big contender right now is the Swans. I think they've got a very nice balance there and it's only going to get better. Um, but look, look, I'll just give the edge to the West Coast right now, so I will say true. I think when you've got you've got those spearheads like Josh Kennedy, Darling, Allen, and then you've got Ryan on the deck and a few others who can rotate Cripps through is there. really good as well. Good goal scene. And Cripps as well. It's just, uh, yeah, a nightmare matchup-wise. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you, Johnny. True for me. If they're getting enough supply to those tall forwards, Darling, Kennedy, Allen, and, you know, if they don't mark it, it's coming to ground, Cripps and Ryan are incredibly dangerous. So good luck to anyone heading over to the West this year. It's going to be hard with Nick Nat <laughs> giving silver service in the ruck oh, and yeah. uh, that very strong forward line. So it looks like the Eagles are up and about again. They certainly are. All right, true or false? Buddy Franklin will reach the 1,000 goal milestone before he retires. Just to give you a little bit of context, he's currently on 947, needing 53 more to crack the 1,000 mark. What do you reckon, Johnny? I'm going to go true. I'm going to back Buddy in here. I think um, if he's back in the team and getting some regular games, I think he'll, you know, he'll definitely get some goals this year. I think he'll get... You know, tw- he'll get his 25 this year, and I think that sets himself up nicely for next year. Where uh, another 25 odd, I think it would be. Yeah, would uh, yeah, that'd do it. And next year's the last year of his contract. I think yes, he'll do it. He's in the best shape he's been in for a while. He looks after his body very well. He's not he's not limping to the line. Yep, I think Buddy will mm, get there. Interesting. Like it's really hard to bet against bet against Buddy Franklin here, isn't it? Like you have to be a bit of a Grinch to say no to this one. <laughs> <laughs> like, I do worry about him though. Like, you know, he's had so many injury issues. Yes, he looks fantastic yes. right now, but he is only probably one bad hamstring injury away. And I say bad hamstring because, you know, you can get really bad hamstring injuries from ending his career. So it would be really sad for, I think, a lot of football supporters if he didn't get to 1,000. But, you know, it wouldn't. It wouldn't tarnish his legacy too much, but just to get someone to a thousand in with today's game is pretty amazing. So, oh, we'd love to see ab- it happen. Yeah, we'd absolutely love to see it happen. And geez, how good did he look? In I think it was round two, wasn't it? Yeah. So he, yes. Why did he miss this I think round? It was just you know putting him in cotton wool, resting him up. Management. Yeah. yeah. He's ne- I, I know they were talking a bit about this that he's not going to play every game and. Um, yeah, just rest yeah. him at the appropriate time. So it might be, you know, 
one on, one off, two on, one off. So he'd be luck- lucky to play half the games for the rest of the season. But, you know, if he's playing, he's probably going to kick two or three in most games he plays, especially without open the and game. And that's is. the thing, yeah. I mean, there'll be games where he's not even playing that well and he'll kick three. Which is so, kind of yeah. what happened. He was a little rusty. Like, he looked good, but he was rusty and he kicked three still. So, yeah. Let's, let's back the big oh. bud. Go true there. Yes. All right, last one for today, Johnny. True or false? And this was a very last-minute edition as we were watching the closing stages of this game before <laughs> recording. Uh, true or false? Geelong's control game style will not give them the best chance for the ultimate success in 2021. <laughs> this this is a very good question. Be careful um, how you answer this, Johnny. There's a lot very, of Geelong supporters out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's a lot of lot of cats fans, a lot of cats fans out there. Um, this, yeah, this is a really, really tough one. And the thing about Geelong's game style is, and I, I might, I might be thinking things here, but I didn't feel like it was as controlled as it was today. I mean, I thought there were times last year, especially in the lead up to the grand final, where yeah, most of the time, predominantly, it was you know, mark, take it back, you know, kick mark. Uh, that was predominantly the the game style, but if there was a good option to play on, they usually took it, I felt. Today, I felt like no matter what, they just took the mark and went back. And um, even when there wasn't even a Hawthorne player on the mark, it seemed to, that, like that was the case. If they're going to play that kind of style, I can't see them I can't see them making the grand final again. But, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think true. true. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, true. Interesting, like... I think Geelong is a bit of a chameleon. Like, they do have the ability to open it up a, a bit more, as you're talking yeah. about. A little and bit, yeah. Do you remember the game they played against Melbourne last year where they basically... Yes. It was it was even more extreme <laughs> than this Hawthorne one. They basically just refused yeah. to move the ball forward to a contest. So, short kicking all the way through. It was super low scoring. I think they might have won by less than a goal scoring below 50 points. And very slow. Yeah, so that was that was extreme. So I think maybe today they just identified that, you know, they really just didn't want to give the ball back to Hawthorne, and they it they seemed thought like that. that you know they'd be able to get the job done without taking that risk. And ultimately, they did. Hawthorne came back a bit and almost pinched it. And I think that is the danger when you're playing this control game style to the extreme, like Geelong does sometimes. The opposition's always in the game. All it takes is them getting a run well, on and you really are quite vulnerable. You did mention that a few weeks ago when you said, um, you know, does does that style, uh, does that open you? If you're not hitting every pass, on the, you know, hitting mm. the nail on the head with every pass, do you open yourself up for a turnover and damage down the other end? Well, it felt like it several times the Hawks were getting some good turnovers from, yeah. from that play. Yeah. And yeah. So it will be interesting for me to see whether Geelong does tweak their game style. I don't think they're, they're not going to go away from this control game style, but whether they do I don't just think so. try and integrate a little bit more of that dash and risk like we've seen from a lot of the other teams making use of the space that's available uh, with some of these rule changes. And yeah, I would agree. Like If you couldn't get the ultimate success last year where the game was shut down using this complete control, I think it's going to be a lot more difficult to you know, win finals and probably the grand final as well if you're playing this slow game style and, you know, you're up against a team that is, you know, 
really trying to exploit the rules and in terms of you know getting the quick ball movement going well it seems yeah exactly and you know it's all well and good having a, a game plan and following it to a T, but you know game plans have got to be slightly fluid as well. I mean, if you go out there and you're you're reading something from the opposition that's a bit different, you've got to adapt. And yeah, I mean, it's all well and good to have that game plan, but you got to yeah just make sure it's you know, if if it's not turning out the way you want that you've got that flexibility. I mean, you know, as Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> <laughs> very active for most sports where yeah, you think your plan is, is pretty awesome until you see what someone else is trying to do to counter yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly uh, but yeah i think geelong just like we we're talking about with richmond they have plenty of time to try and adapt a bit they're not going to change hugely but maybe they'll open it up a bit so again one to watch and see what happens yeah. there um, but yeah, I think it could be an interesting one next week against Melbourne because Melbourne have been, you know, a bit more open, still not the most open, but if Melbourne tries to play that more open style against Geelong, who's just trying to hold it up the whole time, it'd be interesting to see who comes out on top there or whether Melbourne just gets uh, sucked back into that sort of old game style of, you know, uh, taking it a bit slower. It's a massive test, and yeah, they've got the ability to frustrate us with that, with that controlled ball movement. And also, if they're if, if they're sort of filling the space, it might force us to do the the bombing long thing that we sometimes fall the trap we fall into. So, might yeah, have, we'll see just how much of these might involved. have to bring out the old Sydney game plan day. Just uh, get yeah. out those <laughs> short targets and uh, see if Melbourne can put, pull that uh. off. That'll be tricky, but. Uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting game, sort of, uh, you know, a team that's been really successful making some adaptations and sort of using some of that speed on the game versus Geelong, who's kind of trying to play more similar to um, the way they've done the last couple of years. Staying so true. It'll be an interesting yeah. one. Um, we'll very either be very happy or very sad, but, you know. <laughs> good opportunity. <clears throat> good opportunity there. Always a yes. No, really good opportunity. All right, Johnny, I think that's about all we've got for today. So thanks again for joining me. It's been a lot of fun. No problem. It's been heaps of fun. And thanks again for you guys for listening as well. Uh, Hopefully you're helping to get the word out there a bit uh, to your friends and family. And, uh, yeah, definitely uh, getting some momentum there as well. So keep up the good work. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to, to discuss on the show, uh, please email us at footytimemail at gmail.com. Other than that, hope you're enjoying the footy and uh, tune back in next week for more footy time. Happy Easter, everyone.